1: Beyond your plate i 'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist i 'm on a mission to find food truth and connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. Joining us today is a very interesting young woman and she is the CEO of divine Chocolate Erin Gorman. Welcome
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Well, I think that not only do you have a delicious product, but it tastes all the sweeter knowing that the chocolate that you stand behind is fairly traded. And I'm not quite sure our listeners really understand what fair trade is and how it benefits farmers, both here. There's domestic fair trade, of course, and then there's also international. So first tell me, how did you get started in the fair trade movement?
0: My Start in Fair Trade came with the work that I I began doing in 1999 with an organization called Co-op America, which is now called Green America. And the work that they do is to bring consumers, businesses, and investors together to use their economic power, so the power that we each have every time we go out to buy something or we go and invest or we choose a bank to put our money in, to use that power to address issues of environmental social justice, community development. And fair trade at the time was a slowly growing movement in the U.S. that had its roots in many of the faith communities, the solidarity communities, people who worked with developing communities all throughout Latin America and Africa and Asia, where part of what they were aiming to do was to say that Charity isn't the only solution to dealing with poverty. In fact, it's probably not even the primary solution because many of the things that held developing communities back, smallholder producers back, were economic and structural injustices. That if you could devise a system where people were treated fairly, where they were empowered, where the people who had been pushed to the corners of the market, were able to take center stage, then you could start to create a system that where people could, through their own work that they were already doing, pull themselves out of situations that were quite desperate in many ways. But this requires a collaboration of all of those people it requires a collaboration of consumers and businesses and investors. And so my work in Fair Trade began with raising awareness to consumers that, hey, there are these products out there that you buy every day, whether it's a coffee or it's chocolate or it's tea and you can make a difference in the lives of people who produce these goods by choosing to buy a product that's fair trade versus one that's not. And the same went for businesses; you could choose to make a difference by stocking products that were fair trade versus ones that weren't. And so my start was as a, as a campaigner, essentially, and I just I fell in love because it was so empowering to see people be able to collaborate. Through the actions that they took every day to make enormous differences.
1: So, the farmers that you work with overseas, I'm assuming mostly because you're dealing with chocolate, are these cooperatives that are formed?
0: Yes. And so, the origins of fair trade were looking at producers who are smallholder producers. You sometimes hear people call them small scale family farmers. These farmers produce the vast majority of commodities that that people like you and I are familiar with. Cocoa, this is particularly true. So 70% of the world's cocoa comes from West Africa, and of that it comes from Ivory Coast and Ghana. In Ghana, you're talking about mostly farmers who have four to five acres of land, and they sell their cocoa, which isn't very much, and they sell their cocoa into a market where they really, as individuals, have no power. They have no say. And so what happened in the case of Divine and, and the farmers that Divine works with is that there was an organization that was started in 1993. It was a cooperative of farmers called Coco, which means good cocoa farming in the local language. And what they set out to do was by... Collectivizing farmers into a, a co-op, that they would be able to improve the, both the economical and political position of cocoa farmers in the trading sector in Ghana, and that then, by extension, by selling it into the fair trade market, they would be able to gain access to better pricing for their cocoa. So that. Divine got started, it was the outgrowth of this amazing cooperative that set itself up with a real objective of bringing smallholder farmers to the fore, to giving them a say, to giving them power. And one of the things that they realized very early on was that if they were really going to achieve their mission, they needed to do more than sell beans. Because in the chocolate market, the value where all the action is as such is really in the markets in North America and Europe. It's in brands. So if you're a cocoa farmer in Ghana, you'd be lucky if in an average year you made, you know, five or six hundred dollars a year. The size of the cocoa market, or sorry, the chocolate market excuse me, in the United States is thirteen billion dollars. Mm. And so giving farmers access to even a percentage of that would go dramatically in improving their own livelihoods. And so Divine's aim is really by farmers' ownership of a fair trade chocolate brand. They not only get access to where the value of the chocolate market is, they have a way of really connecting with consumers to extend that story about why fair trade is important, what it means to them, and to make real to consumers their participation in a really transformative model.
1: You know, I so agree with you with regard to the power that we have, and yet we don't really perceive it that way. You know, we see ourselves as one little unit going into the store, making one small purchase. But I I really think it's so important to have you on today because of these messages that you're bringing forth, especially the one where each of us collectively in solidarity can make such a tremendous impact if we look at our food, pro- our food, uh, our purchases, not just with food, but of course, everything as a vote or a vote for a system.
0: I think that it is something that we take for granted but it might, be the, it might be the most powerful tool that we have as individuals. So when we think about how change gets made, political power is really important. And participation, democracy, is incredibly important to being able to make change happen in our society. And it's a frustrating process. And, you know, if you watch the news today, you see how everybody's frustration is being borne out in lots of different and very interesting ways. But... The power that we have every single time we go shopping is something that it transcends beyond administrations beyond political parties it can't it, it has a much more lasting effect in how the world is shaped and you can you can kind of i mean even just in this, the you know the short and, and you know most time that i've been working on these issues in the past 10 years when i first started working on fair trade you couldn't find fair trade coffee anywhere you couldn't find fair trade certified products in any store you could only find them from a handful of alternative trade companies you had to buy them through catalogs you might be able to buy it at your local church or synagogue but that was about it and now you can go Almost any supermarket will have some kind of fair trade certified product, whether it's coffee or sugar or cocoa or tea, and the, the, the choices are just growing every day. And that's completely down to individuals who recognized that it was an important choice to make. And they went out and they bought the products. They asked stores to carry the products. They organized people in their communities to demand that places sold the products and that's how that growth has happened and you can and you can see that in so many other sectors i mean think about the amount of environmentally friendly products that are in just your average supermarket today
1: absolutely so it's amazing yeah and it's a great example i mean even with the organic i think when you mentioned that i thought of organic produce right away where you know we used to never be able to find it, and now it's pretty much ubiquitous. Although there are certainly pockets where we can't find it. I was going to tell you a story. I was, I was driving, um, driving along the highway, and have a, had a little chocolate craving. As you know, that can happen. And uh, we stopped at a gas station, and I went inside, and I was, of course, dismayed because I couldn't find any fairly traded organic chocolate. So I thought, well, okay, I'll save the calories today. But um, moving the country even farther now, and if we think of the major brands that are available in truck stops and quick stores and pockets of our country that um, have not yet been enlightened to a lot of these different uh, more forward progressive products, how do we move that a little bit farther along the continuum, say uh, the Mars chocolate or uh, Hershey chocolate, are any of their products fairly traded?
0: Well, in, some of them are. In the case of Hershey's, they have purchased several brands over the past couple of years. One of them, which many people might know, is Dagoba, right. which was probably the first organic fair trade chocolate bar that we had here in the U.S. It was purchased by Hershey's some some years back, Right, but... You know, you, the average Hershey chocolate bar that you, you know, the iconic Hershey chocolate bar isn't fair trade and it isn't organic. I think the answer about how do you, how do you start changing the way that business is done at that level is that there's a couple of key elements and it's a, it's a very complicated puzzle so I'm oversimplifying in some ways but I think these things are true is that what Companies need is a power of good example, and companies like Divine, which has had been around for about 12 years now, and started its work in the UK before moving to the US, is a very good example about how, of how you do that. We set ourselves out with a proposition that we wanted to make chocolate that tasted really good. We wanted to source cocoa from cooperative farmers who were committed to. Producing very good quality cocoa, but Ghana is a source of what is sometimes referred to as bulk forest arrow. cocoa. It's not a noble origin. It's not something obscure. So this is the stuff that most chocolate in the world is made out of. And Ghana supplies 30% of the world's cocoa. So there has a good chance of finding it in most of the things that you can find in, in your mainstream market. We set ourselves out with the proposition that we wanted to make something that was accessible, broadly speaking, to create flavors that people... Everyday people could access, that they could enjoy it in lots of different ways, to create products that people could integrate into lots of their occasions, Christmas and Hanukkah and Easter and Valentine's Day, and to do it so that they were reflective of the real costs. So they weren't cheap products because we were paying producers cheaply, but they weren't exorbitantly expensive. And today in Britain, Divine has served as the power of a good example because Divine spent 10 years working to create a market for quality, mainstream, accessible, fair trade products. We were so happy this year when Cadbury's, which is the biggest brand, chocolate brand in the UK, announced that they were converting some of their products to fair trade and they did it because we had built that market and we had made people realize that it was possible. And what I think that means is that now there's a growing recognition that the minimum that companies should do is fair trade. Mm-hmm. And that, that's also true for consumers. You know, if you can find fair trade coffee at everywhere from a Starbucks to a Walmart to a Dunkin' Donuts, then the minimum that you can do is ask for
1: it. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I I need to interrupt you for one moment, Erin, because I need to remind our listeners that we are speaking with Erin Gorman, and she is the CEO of Divine Chocolate, and we are having a conversation about fair trade, specifically fairly traded chocolate, and you are an expert in this area. This is a fascinating discussion, and I feel empowered already. Um, Okay, let's talk about then the... Moving that we're talking about moving along that continuum and getting more fairly traded chocolate into the marketplace. And you talked about how companies need the power of a good example. What else?
0: I think consumers need to be able to take their convictions, their personal conviction, and feel empowered to share it with others. And a lot of the work that went into And I think this has been particularly true about the market for environmentally friendly products, whether you're talking about compact fluorescent light bulbs, forest stewardship council, lumber, you know, even recycled toilet paper. I mean, some of the basic things that – probably not a store in – I mean, you'd find – it'd be really hard-pressed to find at least some product that fits into that category – But that wasn't the case. I mean, as shortly as, you know, 10 years ago. I mean, that's really recent. And those things exist because people asked for them. They wrote letters to Home Depot and demanded that they they start stocking Forest Stewardship Council lumber. They contacted their supermarkets and said, we want you to stock these products. It's because of consumer demand and consumer push that you started seeing companies recognize, well, like, Regular incandescent light bulbs are really unsustainable, and we need to respond to this. And I'm not sure how many people are aware of it, but the incandescent light bulb's life is quite short now. There's going to – I mean, there's a piece of legislation that's going forward that I think in the next couple years means that most companies by 2015 will have had to sort out how they're going to market light bulbs that are not the traditional incandescent bulb. That's a product of consumer power. Right. So asking for it, and it's simple. I mean, when you go into the store, if you ask your store manager and you say, I'd really like to have Fairtrade Chocolate, where is it? Right. If they can't find it for you, say, can you get it? Well, who, how, can I, how can I help you communicate that to your manager? Do you want me to fill out fill out a consumer comment card? Should it go on your website? And there's been lots of really creative campaigns that people have done both personally and collectively to really move stores along and I, it's really simple stuff it really is but it does work it takes time and it takes persistence but it really does work
1: let me ask you a question that's often raised the, the devil's advocate question is there greenwashing that takes place within fair trade some people might say well you know it sounds good in theory but there are some problems are there problems are there, you know, is it all that it seems to be
0: I think that whenever you're talking about a system that is made up of human beings, that you're going to be talking about a system which is not going to be perfect. But it also means that it has the potential for always getting better. And I think that one of the things that happens as you start looking at the growth of fair trade, and the same thing was true in the growth of organics and there are many other social movements, is that you start seeing the people who were the real pioneers, the people who were really pushing the envelope, who wanted to address the most egregious social or environmental justice of the time, you start seeing them grow not discontented, but they want to they want to keep pushing that envelope and you need those people. Right? So I mean one of the things that I think Divine has done really effectively is that we said fair trade is great. It is a wonderful system that allows producers to have a way of, of obtaining better, better value for the products that they sell, have better recognition in the marketplace, and the certification The system allows consumers an easy way to find those products, but it's not everything that should be done. There's a lot more that should be done. Ownership matters. Who owns a company matters because ownership is power, and so... Divine's model is, a, is the way that we push the envelope. It's the way that we say just having a fair trade certified product is a good start but you need to do more. And companies like Equal Exchange, which is another pioneer in the fair trade movement, they have pushed the envelope in their own way by really looking at their own organizational structure. They're a worker co-op. So who does the work and what representation those people have? That matters too. And so I wouldn't say that there's a problem of greenwashing. There's a problem of really... And I wouldn't even say it's a problem. I think what you see is that the social justice that you address today isn't the one that you need to address tomorrow. And you need to keep finding the way to push, to push, to push. And I think what happens is that people become discontented, I'd say in this case, this really is discontented, with the pace at which large companies move. hmm You know, they they get their fair trade certified product on the shelf and and they declare victory. And then you sort of, the people who have been the real champions of that movement from the core say, wait, that's not all. You need to do more. You need to keep doing more. But it took so much hard work to get that big monolithic company to change its mind the first time around, that it's going to take them even more time to make that second change. And so the pace of change, I think, is more the problem that, you see. But, you know, again, if you look at things and through a window of, of time that's a lot longer, you can start to see how these companies are coming along. Not all of them, but a lot of these big companies are starting to internalize these values. Obviously, not at the rate that we'd all want them to, and maybe not at the rate that some of the small pioneers have, but they are, they are doing it, and they're trying. And that's another way that consumers have a role to play, is that any system is only as good as the watch cards, mm-hmm. right? So it's only going to be as good as we ask it to be.
1: You know, that's, And so that's,
0: that's one of the things we have to take responsibility for, too.
1: That's such a, a great statement. It requires eternal vigilance. You know, one of my favorite quotes is actually from Thomas Jefferson, and it's that true freedom or true democracy requires eternal vigilance. And I see this as a common theme that comes up no matter what we're talking about, whether we're talking about organic vegetable production or whether we're talking about fair trade or any number of things, even environmental products that you mentioned earlier. It takes, we can't sit back, plug in a video, and get a six pack. We have to pay attention fairly regularly and not rest on the laurels or the gains that we made today your observation that what is good today is not necessarily going to be good tomorrow.
0: I think that's right, and I think that in many ways social movements can learn a lot from political movements. The need to constantly be holding ourselves accountable to making sure that the people who are primarily affected, that their voices are heard, is a really key part to creating systems that are high-impact, that deliver on their promise. And it is the frontier of fair trade as such. So there's one frontier, right? And that frontier, you know, everyone was running at it for many years, and it was saying you have to have the products have to be certified. We have to change the products. And it's like, well, yes, but now we have to look at the companies. And the market, you know. So the companies that are selling these products—have they really changed? Mm-hmm. The Chiquita bananas that purchased bananas under really, really complicated situations, or, or the Dole's that purchased that purchased products from plantations where people were horribly abused.
1: Yeah. If
0: they have organic products or fair trade products, does that really change who they are? And if not, then that's what we need to be looking at.
1: Well, that's, that's really what I was going to ask you. is What kind of changes have you seen personally when a community overseas has moved towards a fairly traded kind of system? Have you yourself witnessed changes within those communities?
0: I have a really good story. <laughs> so, good. So there's a, so Coopacoco, which is the farmers' organization who owns Divine, and they supply us with with the cocoa that we use for our, our fair trade chocolate bars, has 45,000 members. And when they set themselves up, one of the things that they built into their constitution was that if they were going to be a proper fair trade cooperative, in their minds, what that meant was getting women and men to participate equally.
1: Mm. And
0: this was a real struggle. So when they first set themselves up, and this was in 1993, farmers would get together in their village societies, and the women would all sit off in the corner, and the men would all sit together, and the men would try to make all the decisions. But if you wanted to be part of co the women had to participate. And so they set themselves up structurally so that in order for a village society, so a small primary group of farmers, to join the cooperative, men and women had to sit on the board of the village society cooperative. Wow. And what that meant was that if you wanted the benefits of central into the fair trade market and you wanted the benefits of being part of that cooperative, you had to recognize women's rights. Today, what that means in terms of COAPA is that COAPA is an organization, like I said, with 45,000 members that operates in 1,300 village societies, and their national executive board of the cooperative, which is 20 people, is made up of 12 women and 8 men, and almost all of the positions that control money are women. So the national finance secretary is a woman, the treasurer is a woman, the general secretary is a woman, the head of the Farmers Trust is a woman, the head of the farmers, the credit union is a woman. To me, that is one of the real power of what fair trade delivers. It delivers an incentive for farmers to become organized. It delivers an incentive for them to form real democracy, where the real democracy values men and women collectively. And, in the case of Kauapa, it fundamentally transformed the role of women in these village societies from being people who sat in the corner and didn't say anything to women who became leaders
1: Aaron, and the, yeah I'm sorry yeah, where our time is up unfortunately <laughs> but I to the <laughs> I, I, I know. I, this has been such a fabulous interview, and I want to direct our listeners to the Divine Chocolate website, which is simply www.divinechocolateusa.com, and I also want to direct them to greenamericatoday.org, which has an interview with you, uh, and, uh, of course, promotion of Fair Trade Chocolate. You have brought out such important Components of fair trade, and I want to thank you so much. We have been speaking with Erin Gorman, who's the CEO of Divine Chocolate. Unfortunately, our time has run out, but I want to thank you, Erin, for your work, and I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. We'll make sure to post your link to Divine Chocolate USA on the KOPN website as well. Erin, thank you.
0: My pleasure. Thank you so much.